Welcome to Genius Leadership Overcoming Everything podcast. I'm your host, Anna Liebel, a mind shifter, helping male leaders in tech get out of the firefighter mode, become the proactive leaders they want to be, and enjoy the ride as they go. Join me every week for honest, insightful conversations with corporate, entrepreneurial, and academic leaders about their rollercoaster ride to leading from their zone of genius. If you find the show valuable, could you do me a favor? Rate and review the podcast. Share it with your network so that more of us can live a healthier and happier life. And for now, let's take the ride together. Hey, Genius Leader, it's the time for yet another episode of Genius Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm talking to Martin Navne, who is the CEO and co-founder at Customize, which is the customer data platform for e-commerce. Martin is an experienced business technologist on a mission to minimize the competitive wedge in the market through the most accessible customer data platform for e-commerce uh, SMBs. And he has also been nominated and shortlisted to diverse awards as a manager and leadership uh, or leader, specifically in London, in the industry awards while he was working there. Now he's back in Denmark and building Customize which we'll be talking about. It's a fascinating journey of starting a company in the midst of pandemic and growing the team all virtually. So how do you manage to create a culture and build some values there, integrate values in the work of people whom you never meet in person? How do you identify which persons are a good fit for the culture that you want to create? Maybe you choose something else to look at at the moment. And that's actually what Martin and his co-founder, Chris, have decided to do and focus on the expertise instead of their personality. And you'll hear in the conversation why and they have decided to do it so and what's the plan for further on. We're also discussing how to actually grow the company and hire people when you're in this hyper growth while still staying virtual. This is the stage that they're going through right now this year in 2021. So they have been hiring quite a lot of people and Martin is talking about how to prepare for that and how to hire enough people to meet the needs of the company without diluting the culture. How can you prevent that there is some kind of misunderstanding, miscommunication and some kind of poor expectation management with between the new people and the existing team? So we'll be discussing all the ideas about that and also how... Martin and his hiring team are working on finding people who value personal growth over business growth because that's the spirit and the mindset that they're looking for. If the person is willing to grow themselves, that will give the necessary growth for the company. That was a very interesting idea, I thought, and I want you to pay attention to when Martin is talking about that. We're also discussing the decentralization, how to define the roles of people and responsibilities and freedoms so that they can make decisions without being micromanaged, without involving the leadership and too many people, slowing down the process. Because speed is important in the hyper-growth stage of the company, as we discussed earlier on the show. Martin is also talking about his experience of being the youngest in the company and still being the senior manager or being in the leadership team? What kind of learnings he's taken from that, how he got there, and how is he using that in his journey with Customize nowadays? And what I loved is his suggestion of 
paying attention to being honest because your people deserve that. So doing that, even when it hurts, is the best thing you can do as a leader. Listen to this conversation. I hope you will find a lot of actionable steps and ideas to implement or discuss with your leadership team or friends from our conversation with Martin. See you on the other side. Hello, folks. Here I am again live today. It's actually quite intense for within podcast uh, interviews or live on several different platforms, but that's how it is sometimes. The stars align and people are available. So I just want to grab the chance because uh, all the time is valuable. And uh, when I have a, an opportunity to talk to great people, I make exceptions. <laughs> so today I'm talking to Martin Namney. He will uh, he'll introduce himself a bit more through his experiences in um, in the conversation, but I want to really start with thanking you, Martin. I, just in the pre-chat, we discussed how, how busy you are, even though it's summer <laughs> and mid of vacation for many people, especially in Scandinavia. You are working, you're going full speed and you're growing your business successfully. So thank you so much for finding time for this conversation. Very, very happy to be here as well. And just, of course, discussing some of the topics that's always on, on my mind as well. And of course, yeah, we've had a, a few discussions uh, previously and uh yeah, it's always nice to talk about. Of course, I'm, I'm quite passionate about the area. So, so whenever I get the chance as well to talk a little bit outside of the normal operational side of work, I, I always try to enjoy it as well. Do you actually have a lot of uh, opportunities to, to talk about leadership in the operational or business context of, of customer itself? Not um, much at the moment. Of course, it's been when you're sometimes so zoned in, like you tend to to not down prioritize things as, of course, a little bit more the external side of, of talking about leadership. Of course, I've done it quite a bit in the, in, in the past, uh, always trying to give my two cents when it comes to at least what I've experienced, the do's and don'ts. But of course, it's been quite a, a hectic and busy year. So uh, a little bit less kind of more of the, the podcast anticipated in a few things I've very found. I think found very much interesting, of course, when it comes to diversity, when it comes to, of course, growth, uh, is at least some of the things I've experienced. I always try to, to tend to at least, uh, of course, participate in those. But so, so it's been a little bit scarce lately, um, but I hope that kind of the next year, of course, we actually just had a, a, a one-year birthday in, in the organization. So, of course, the next year of our, of course, our organization, I hope to, to have a little bit more, so some, some time to, to look at the external side of it as well. Happy birthday to Customai. Starting in July 2020, that's bold. Yeah. <laughs> Let's say yeah. that. Way. Time really runs fast. I guess it's, it's crazy to think about that, of course. But it's also like you think of this year as it's been probably the longest year in, in, in my life. But simultaneously, I think of it as July last year was basically yesterday. So it's this constant kind of retrospective and kind of reflection that meets each other where yeah, it's, it's kind of an interesting balance, but uh, because you don't really think about it and it was kind of, yeah, just a little bit out of nowhere. You said, okay, we've actually been uh, founded for a year now. And of course, it's been going so quick. You, you almost sometimes forget a little bit those small milestones in it as well. Yeah, yeah, time has stopped being linear, right? Our perception of time, just as you said, it's usually like you're, you're looking back and like, oh my God, has this much time has already passed? And then you're like, it's gone so quick as well. <laughs> so yeah. that's, that's well, the middle part of, that. of Corona as well. Uh, it's been a, a strange year, I guess, for for dominantly everyone of us. So it's been a, a, a little bit different and time has probably exactly been a little bit constrained of where, where we, it's actually going. Of course, some people have been remote, some people have been abroad. Of course, it's been, yeah. Strange time to be alive in, in some capacity, at least, yeah. Well, we're going through it and hopefully we're learning our lessons and, and making making ourselves better through these experiences. Let's hope. Yeah, There's a lot to learn from it, at least, yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure. 
So Martin, uh, talking about learnings, <laughs> the first question I would like to ask you is, uh, when you hear the words sustainable business performance, what are you thinking about? It's a good question because it's some sort of, of course, it's some of the things that I often kind of think of when I'm a little bit alone, uh, when I try to come in a little bit reflect holistically, both of business, but also of me as an individual. And when I look at kind of sustainable business performance, I look at things that the growth is somehow driven organically, but also driven uh, very much purposely. Um, so it doesn't kind of almost like a little bit like inflation. If I ever were to put it into a kind of a contrast, I always would put it into inflation of saying we cannot hyperinflate because it often would mean that there'll be some, some other obstacles in the kind of locations of it. There could be things like, of course, culture, DNA. It could also be things like operational functionality and other aspects of it. So I think when sustainable business performance, I always tend to think about it that it needs to be driven by the right initiatives. It's about causality. So it means action A is actually driven to, of course, have a result and causality of B. And then I also think of it as we are, of course, an organization where we've kind of experienced a little bit of the hyper growth parts of it. And when you when you put that into a context and you you kind of you don't really think of it when you're in it, because it basically just step on step on step on step. But retrospectively, you think of, okay, what am I also trying to create? So when we look at sustainability and we take performance out of the kind of the, the wording, we also look at where are we going to be in a year, in two years' time. And despite it being in a hyper-growth organization, hard to forecast, you still need to be very, very clever about the, both the actions and the investments you do right now. What are they actually also contribute to in the future? And Sustainability, of course, also always for me comes back to a organization and comes back to what is it that we both as a leadership, but also as individuals in the business trying to create? What do we want to be? Not that it needs to be as big as what do we want to be remembered as, but it always comes back to kind of that conceptualization of saying we, we want to run a business that doesn't have this kind of revolving door. And uh, that's always one of the things we talk about. We want to have a culture that is embracing also, of course, differences. So also talk about sustainability as something that's a bit more of a broader organizational function. And probably the last thing, uh, when we look at it, of course, the, the, the word in the middle where it comes into business, I always talk about sustainability as it needs to be something completely embedded into the operational functionality of customize. It needs to be something we think about, or not the minute we, we get up in the morning, but it needs to be something that's on our mind. So when we do things, we do think a little bit more kind of we investigate it, we analyze it, we, we think about what is this actually also going to result in. Um, so instead of just taking quick decisions for quick decisions sake, because we always talk in small organization, hyper growth and scale ups like us, that you need a very, very little time from time to execution. But as long as the investigation and what you do in the middle of that time still creates that informational fundament to take a decision, um, that's a little bit what I also define as sustainability. So a mindset and a form mindset of how we, we take decisions, yeah. I know that was every uh, in every <laughs> kind of angle, but that's kind of the, what kind of comes to my mind when you when you mention it. But I love it. I love it, Martin, because now we can actually just uh, you know um, like unwrap your answer for the whole interview. <laughs> it gave me a lot of a lot a lot of kind of points that uh, to to grab and and develop for the the conversation further. So I'm really grateful for that how you how multifaceted your your answer has been. The first one I just started with, let's just try to, to do it that way. You talked about this organic growth, right? And, and then you covered in the answer that as well that you're going through the uh, hyper growth right now, right? So those are quite often in, in the mind of people, those are two opposite 
concepts, right? Organic growth is the slow one that kind of happens naturally. You don't push it and so on and so forth. And then the hyper growth is really exponential and, and quite often out of control. So it was really fascinating for me, for me to hear you both in your answer. And knowing that you are going through hypergrowth with Customize, I, I love that you started with organic, organic growth. So I want to unravel this a bit more. How do you actually combine the two? Or how do you think about it? Like, how can we stay organic with our growth while we're growing exponentially? So when I think of, of course, exactly, organic growth and hyperscale is often sometimes contradicting, but it actually doesn't need to be mutually exclusive. Because when I think of the kind of the meaning of when I say organic growth is often driven by kind of some kind of a milestone. So we often put some kind of a measurement and a way to monitor the way that we want to grow. So it's a very much of a decision-based mm-hmm. growth. So when I talk organically, it's about that we, because when you want to be an organization that is in some way, hypergrowth is not always a decision. And it is something that sometimes also is a little bit intact with the market. It's things like that. So when things of the market and you can see this combination of you actually have a product that is extremely sought after, you have a proposition that match your TAM, so your total address for market, you have your buying persona actually also buying into the proposition that you have, you begin to see a such a big demand that you basically need to adhere to. And that's where the organic kind of functionality is driven around us. You constantly are trying to create this kind of investigation and analysis around what is the next step. So the organic growth is driven by the right kind of in a kind of incentives and the right way of, of driving the business forward. So when I always talk about organic, it's driven by the business results. So it's driven by the way that we go as an organization, because we know we need to be a little bit quicker in the market. Um, if we are really going to become the organization that we strive for, and they, of course, meet the ambitions that we both, uh, that we have, stakeholders, individuals, investors, everyone have, we sometimes need to push it a little bit more. So we have an organic growth that basically is consisting of 80% of our business, what I define it as. And the last 20% is what we put on top to kind of drive, again, the organic growth on the bottom. So it's kind of always a little bit of a scaling, a little bit of a timing question of it. So I always tend to say our business is driven organically because we always only take decisions because we believe this is the next step of it to actually adhere to the demand in the market and what we are. And of course, our customers are sought after when when they're kind of looking at customizing an organization and as a product. So that's kind of a little bit where I think it's not mutually exclusive. We try to combine it because we genuinely believe there is it is a little bit of a stepping stone where each of them consistently meets each other. And then, of course, sometimes you do try to invest a little bit in something you believe can actually, again, drive some organic growth. So it's, it's like a constant balance and something where it's like a, a whirlpool where it just constantly goes around. Um, you invest in something, then it drives something, then you invest in, in something more that can actually also contribute to that again. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a balance, it's a scale, but that's kind of how I, I define and how I, I think they meet as well, at least how we see it in, internally in our organization. It's a, it's a fascinating interplay of things, right? And uh, like, as you said, it can be sometimes tricky with this balance and the percentages to find that right way. So have you had frustrations about that? Or maybe you, you can share some mistakes and not necessarily from customized journey, maybe from some previous experiences of yours. And how do you learn from, from the experiences that actually might not have gone perfectly well from the first time? 
No, no, it never goes perfectly well. It's, it's always about a risk calculation and you take 10 decisions and then you hope at least seven of them is in a correct manner. And then you hope the three of them that, of course, have the largest risk. So you always try to do it. I, I always tend to use Eisenhower's priority metrics. That kind of de- defines my decision making. So that's based on urgency and importancy. So that always tends to be the way that I try to take decisions that, again, are impacting the way we run as a business. But going back to, of course, as you mentioned, some of both the mistakes, and I've been in, of course, in London, I'm part of an organization that's kind of extremely rapidly scaled, and it was driven only by demand in the market. So quite a healthy way of doing it, but it also meant that we, not that we lost a little bit of our DNA, but of course, there's some of the things that happens when you hire a lot of people, it begins to be a little bit more fluid, the values of the organization, because it's not something that is such an embedded thing in the organization anymore, because that's what happens when you hire extremely fast. You lose that kind of transition where if you were to hire just one into an organization and you'd wait a month on hiring the next one, you'd get them culturally kind of transition into the organization with the onboarding, the way we do things. But if you hire five people at the same time into a team that's basically newly developed, it begins to create kind of not the silos, but it begins to create these small kind of uh, cultures inside the organization that can both be healthy uh, if it's done in the right way. It can also be unhealthy. That's some of the things I've experienced sometimes. That sometimes if it goes a little bit too fast and you try to develop and force something, so we're developing off a certain team or that's not having the maturity as of yet, you'd often see that both the communication, uh, you'd also see the expectation management is not there, which can cause a little bit of some impact on resource, on deadlines, on time tracking, on, in, in the end, actually, their complementation to the overall strategy. So you'd have not people, but you have teams falling a bit behind um, and you're only yourself to blame hypothetically because you haven't really gone into to, to kind of the way of onboarding and kind of transition means an organization the best way looking at the, the other side of it of course when we look at some of the things we try to do to kind of at least not get into these situations too often is we try to create an enormous transparency and sincerity in the business by decentralized management so that means that kind of the way we want to embed, and it's also because I'm not a good micromanager, so <laughs> I'm feeling if there, then that's also part of the, the, the context of it. I have no interest in that. And we, so, so that decentralization, we actually create, of course, leaders that embed it completely into themselves and it just naturally flows down and also up again. So we get an extremely good bounce off on the way that we want to run our business because it also is driven by individuals and not a top down kind of management philosophy. Um, and, but some of the other mistakes that I've seen is probably also when you do recruitment with the velocity, sometimes you do, and um, you also sometimes lose a little bit kind of, why are you hiring? Uh, what is this particular individual coming into? So you have to end up creating a little bit of a mismatch. It could also be culturally. It could be also communicationally. It could be expectation wise. You, you end up with people in the business that don't have that contribution that they hope for and that the business hope for either. And that can sometimes create again, a little bit of kind of this, it, Sometimes there's some, some issues in the organization. And of course, that impacts the rest because it is like rings in the water when it comes to culture, when it comes to recruitment. Uh, and you need to ensure that the way you do recruitment, you are looking for individuals you think is complementing the business. You also look at individuals you think have the, both the right mindset, but also it is based on a cultural complementation that could be based on diversity because we try to embed that into the way we think when we go into recruitment. But that is at least some of the, the, the mistakes and do's and don'ts I see is often organizationally, because of course, in business are driven by people and it's often there that the, the biggest mistakes are, are being made, uh, including some of the, the ones I've made myself. I love your answer. And actually, I would like to go deep in, in one of the things, uh, if not more of them. Yep. Uh, you talked about these 
you know, it's sometimes better to hire one person at a time to not dilute the culture by getting too many people. But in the hyper growth, again, it comes again to the 8 to 20 rule, I would say. So what would be the practical piece of advice? How can you plan as the organizational leadership team for for this hiring that actually will not harm the rest of the people who are already there and not the culture and not the business performance? Yeah, so... Which is a, a great question. And one of the things that I always need to, to say, both the leadership team and say to myself, is, of course, that the culture is not a sprint, it's a marathon. So it's always something we need to think of long term. And some of the practical things that we do, of course, to try to avoid uh, the mismatch culturally, of course, we try to tend to have several people in organization, of course, interviewing people. So it becomes a little bit broader and a little bit more holistically. So we don't want to hire too fast when it comes to the recruitment. We rather take three or four interviews. And sometimes for some people, that's a little bit of a lot. But what we want to do is create enough information for both parties to actually take a little bit more of an informative decision of, are we a good match for you? Are you a good match for us? You've seen several parts of the organization. You see if whether this is also a match because we are a cross-collaborative kind of organization. So when it comes to it, you don't sit in the, your chair and then that's it. You are a part of this entire organization. Your play in this enormous strategy, you need to see that extremely visually. And one of the second things we always try to do as well is we try to create now and we, it's something we're really focusing on from now and also for the next six months is the way we do onboarding. We always try to start a little bit earlier so even try to create some socialization with, uh, of course, the staff, even before they start. So it doesn't become, because I've always, and I, I know for myself, of course, this first day, it's always a little bit of a strange day for everyone. Uh, you come in, you get your computer, you get your laptop, and then you just sit down and then you see, regardless of how big a company is, you see a lot of people and then that's it. And you feel a little bit distressed and where should I start? And you're being asked that this is your project plan, this is your week plan, and you're just then beginning to do something. But if you start a little bit earlier, so almost as the second the recruitment process ends, you begin to create this socialization, you begin to create this kind of embedment into the organization, the culture, the people in the business. And you try to, to kind of get them a little bit introduced to a few people potentially also not kind of a particular in their teams. So just kind of get, get a little bit down to earth. And then you have kind of this familiar phase because also when you hire remote is it even more of distress because you're basically just sitting in your laptop at home or whether you, where you, wherever you are and, and you basically are looking into a Zoom call, Teams call, mm. whatever it is. And then that's the, your start. So we, we try to, to take a little bit, some steps into that customer journey. And when we say customer journey, we basically be the candidate journey from post a kind of pre-acquisition. So before we actually get them in the organization, also post as well to create an extremely well-functioning machine. It's not easy. It's not something we've mastered completely yet, but it's something we're, we're focusing on. And I can see that in itself is also creating resource and we get a good kind of function for the individual as well. And then we try to create a few plans for when they get on board, at least for the first month or the first three months it's defined. And then we'd always be kind of a little bit of a wiggle room following that. Mm, that's fantastic. And I really love it, Martin, that you're giving some practical tips of how you actually work with those things. It's so important to hear those examples from the company. So uh, now actually I get to think about it. I Somehow didn't connect the obvious dots. You started in uh, the business in July 2020. So it was still like middle of the lockdowns and the COVID pandemic and so on. And actually, yeah, you grown the whole team, I guess, by hiring remotely. We did. So how, like, what has this journey been like? And what are your learnings? And what, what are you taking with you? And you're like, okay, yeah, this we don't need to do in person. But here are the things that we would like to, to do in person when it's possible. I'd love to hear about that journey. And it's a... Is such a fascinating thing that we've all gone through when it comes to both as business leaders, as employees, as everyone. 
And of course, our experience with COVID has been a, a different one. Of course, we, I've kind of a little bit, we went in stealth mode in last March. I left my job in London uh, back then. And then, of course, we founded officially in, in July. Um, but we, of course, are still in the midst of COVID. And we've hired now up to, to 20, 25 people in, in kind of a remote capacity. And when I look back at it, of course, one of the things that we always knew from the start is that we, we, we kind of had a feeling we've hit it on the nail with the product. You would always, every founder would need to have that mindset of thinking, oh, yeah, we've done it. So now it's about people and it's about capital. That is it within the software. It is about those two things. So we knew when it comes to stakeholder management, investor management is something we need to take very, very serious at a very, very early stage. Um, and of course, look at the second part of it, which is people. Uh, that's something we need to very, very quickly begin to create this kind of center of how are we going to run this business remotely. And one of the, I think is still a lucky thing that we, we are in the tech industry uh, that's been a little bit more used to working remote. There's always been quite a few individuals in the business that would like to work remote. It might be a day or two, but it created some kind of at least a natural transition to that. Oh, yeah, it wasn't a big thing that we were all working five days away from the office. We're not close to each other. Chris and I, the Christopher, the other co-founder, we were sitting in a, at a dining table in Aarhus. So back then, so we were sitting quite close. I was still I was living uh, partially in Copenhagen and partially in Aarhus back then because we needed to be close. But of course, when we started hiring, we knew that... One of the things we couldn't really get the same grasp of as if we were in person was kind of that sense and the dynamics and the way that we see individuals. Because when you meet people, you have an enormous sense of how do you how do you perceive them? Is body language is everything that tells in in some way into your heuristics and your biases and where you, you perceive things. But now you're sitting and, and hiring people completely remotely. You. We were more looking at actually the, the functionalities of individuals. So actually it couldn't really determine soft skills in the same way. So we said, okay, we will hypothetically, even though it doesn't sound as good as, as it does, minute, we'll gamble a little bit on the soft skills and then we'll hire very much on the skill basis because we, we know that's what's needed for our journey right now. We need very experienced and very, very good people. And then we were also lucky and we tried to, of course, I tried and Christopher tried as much as we could to get those soft kind of, where are we, who are you as individuals, trying to really, really talk a lot with them outside of work about everything to get a grasp of who they are as individuals, to at least get a sense of, of how they could kind of take it into the cultural aspect of customize. But we did hire a lot based on a skill basis because we knew it's about the velocity, it's about the product. And that in itself was more important to get out there before we're going to build the organization. So we also use quite a bit of consultants. Uh, so we use consultancies, we use partners, because that also gave us the flexibility both to scale ups and downs. And we didn't really lose the culture of it. And then we can bet on the individuals we really knew were strong for us and we can bet on long term as well. And that's really given us a great foundation. It's also a little bit more of an expensive solution. But it's just it's a great way to start off when you're an early organization, you don't want to gamble on your culture, your values, your DNAs, then you can kind of slowly transition into that kind of in-house capability and create the, the center of excellence internally as you go. And then, of course, we started that particular journey from probably the start of 2021. We've, of course, hired quite rapidly, almost a few people a month. And um, so... We kind of wanted to, to go into at least making sure that the culture was an aspect we're thinking into the consideration of it 
but it was a little bit more of a of a lower priority at the absolute first, and then it begins to be more and more of a priority when we kind of were to to kind of insource things again. So, so that's at least a, kind of how we've done it. And it was based on some experiences uh, that both I've had in London, of course, also hiring remote teams there. And also, of course, as Christopher has had as, a, as being a, a kind of a senior CMO in, back in, in Denmark. So trying to combine that kind of at least uh, experience and, and, and try to. And then, of course, we've always gone for that we wanted people to who are extremely passionate about their own progression. Uh, it's something we value a lot. Uh, we sometimes value it beyond kind of how much they can complement the organization. The reasoning being, we always know we can get kind of, we can commercialize and monetize the experience and their passion into customer. But as long as they're embedded on the reasoning why they're there themselves, we can kind of steer them into a direction that complement our organization as well. It just, it also just means that they're way more embedded into the way of how they can complement and how they can contribute to our journey. And it becomes to be an extremely natural kind of dynamic as well. And we've seen that work extremely well. It's really interesting to, to observe it. And, um, <clears throat> or hear about your solution and the priorities for now. Oh, I would be excited to see how that goes in two years or so, how you've managed to kind of keep that or crystallize the culture, right, with uh, the people we've hired right now and then how that uh, priority of the tech skills will affect the diversity as well, because that also is the part of it, right, uh, and how you will be able to kind of really get the best out of that diversity once you like continue growing further on. So that will be really interesting to see. Hey, Genius Leader, I'm chiming in here quickly to ask you to do one thing for me. If you're enjoying this episode, share it with one person who you think would find it valuable as well. Let's spread the goodness together so that more people can play within their zone of genius. You mentioned the this kind of top-down and bottom-up structure with leadership, right? And that it's not depending on you and Chris and the, the top leaders and so on within an organization. Can you give a couple of examples of practical examples how that works? Maybe uh, some kind of decisions that people are taking and then you just get the information about that or how does it look on a daily basis? It actually falls back to my experience in, in London as well. Of course, I've always been an extremely young leader. That's part of, of course, what I've gone through, uh, which is kind of, forcefully matured myself a little bit in a, in a in a good way but i've always had the philosophy of decentralized management is starting from empowerment is starting from inclusiveness it also drives diversity in itself because it creates a lot more of a lot of thoughts and minds in the same kind of way and how we've done it practically and how we've always done it practically is to give kind of a very very specific role specification of where your decision making should be so when we look at decentralization, we are talking about people have the right and they have the mandate to take decisions that are on their level and sometimes actually beyond, because we always tend to see the decisions should be made by individuals that are the most experienced within that particular field. That could be seniors. It could be also some in a little bit lower degree, but they've been hired to do something and contribute on that particular function or with that particular experience. So what they have the mandate to, and which sometimes also creates some, some interesting kind of course issues and complications. But it means just at when we talk about that time to execution means that both our technical departments can run completely sufficiently without me. And kind of I'm a little bit the CEO and CPO at one point, but it means that they can just take decision that doesn't need my influence because I'll rather come with suggestions and I'm still quite strong in, in some capacity in those, uh, in those aspects. But 
It means that we just have a little bit more of a fluid decision-making. It means that we are having a lot more inclusiveness down in our technical teams, also in operational teams, our commercial teams. And it also just means that that reporting structure that's normally been this traditional function, we try to get a little bit rid of that. And then we try to empower individuals based on where they're coming into the organization, what experience of course they come with, and what we also believe that they need to actually scale within the organization. So they need to scale their own experience in the way that they also... But we also, what we see, and this, of course, is the interesting results out of it when you try to just give people a mandate to take decision, like basically giving them the PNL in, in some way. You also just, they get enormously more embedded into why they're there and kind of also seeing their, we see, we can see it on retention. We can see it on employee satisfaction scores. We can also see that we, we actually give them the framework for them to progress and what I've also experienced myself and what I know a lot of people experience is sometimes you can be locked a little bit inside a box uh, of saying, okay, this is what I can do. And of course, you'd have the, the business context of saying, okay, we need project managers doing this and this and this. But if you create these small project teams where you basically are giving the mandate for someone, hypothetically not on a project management kind of level, the mandate to take the decision and lead it, you also just get a lot more inspired people and they, they tend to thrive more and that's basically what we've seen. So project teams, small project teams on could be on a feature. It could be on a specific project. It could be on a new CRM system. Create these things. Then they can basically just take the decision. Then I just do the sign-off. I see, I, we tend to see that it works extremely well. And falls back to also, again, this thing about that we are completely age agnostic. Of course, me being young, I'm not going to kind of lessen others on experience in life and on everything on that. I, I know what I'm contributing to with and I know where people need to compliment me. So it's also about this kind of consistent, mutual, kind of beneficial way that we are giving a lot to each other, both as leaders and as also, also as individuals in the business, and we all learn from each other. So it creates that collaborative culture where people don't think of me as I'm the overall boss. They think of me as just Martin. He's contributing to this and this and this. And that just gives a, an extremely good sense of dynamic and, and kind of also the cultural diversity just flourish from that. Because we're still tech business, despite we're growing substantially, we're still 50% females. And not that we do gender as a way we measure diversity at all. We measure diversity in a lot of capacity. But it just showcased that at least some of the ways that we are also creating a culture is actually also creating some kind of recruitment funnels that is interesting for a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds, also internationals. And that's something, of course, I also love to see myself as a founder. It's something I, I, I'm proud of, but also I hope that we can drive in the future as well. Yeah, that's awesome. And what you're talking about, it's really creating the ownership, right? Really, when, when everyone in the team has the sense of ownership, you get this completely different dynamics. And that is what drives people to maybe put some extra effort or think out of that box that they have put been put yeah. in by the raw description or so. It sparks creativity, innovation, collaboration with the team. So it's really, really great that you're paying so much attention to it from day one, basically, of uh, Customize. So thanks for sharing for that, uh, that Martin. I would like to go back to your experience in London because you mentioned a couple of times. Okay. You have been a very young leader there, leading the team of people not your age, not younger than you, but actually much more uh, much older and much more experienced than you. So how did you end up in that position, first of all? How did it go? And what are your learnings from that? Apart from, like, you already mentioned a bit of, like, this kind of forced maturity, <laughs> but I would like to go deeper into those learnings. Yeah, so, so of course, it's a funny story. Uh, of course, I'm, I'm Danish originally. Of course, born and, and bred in just out of Aarhus, uh, so, of course, a city in Jutland uh, in Denmark. 
I've always had a, so I come a little bit from a competitive sports background. Uh, I could take a lot of lessons and learnings and a lot of seeing the reasoning behind uh, my wild ambitiousness in London coming a little bit from that. And then I've always had this mindset of, I can always do whatever I set out for. And it's always, sometimes it sounds a little bit like, oh yeah, and, and it's, it's slightly naive, but I also like it because it should be naive. We, we should sometimes strive for, for, for a lot. And I ended up in the consulting industry in London, kind of, of course, coming in at a very, very early stage, but coming in with a proposition to do something new. Uh, I've always been interested in innovating or pioneering or trying something that hasn't been done yet. And it was an organization looking to go into the Nordic region. Uh, with a proposition within, of course, IT, within the tech industry, specifically data analytics and cloud. So it's a very, very interesting area. Uh, I've always loved tech. I'm absolutely completely into the technical world. My kind of apartment in London was completely driven by Alexa, so speakers, and you could <laughs> basically, of course, boil water by speaking to it. Uh, so things like that have always been a major, major part of the technical world and it's found it fascinating how it's also impacted our own personal lives. But that kind of also just kind of where I started. And we went in back in, of course, some, some, some quite many years ago into a proposition that in the midst of, of course, yeah, 14, 15, really, really matched the market maturity and became a proposition that was so much more than what we thought we actually could, could do. So it was also a lot of timing. And of course, there's a lot of coming out of a proposition that actually matched the terms of the total addressable market. And we also, with a slight luckiness, hit it like right on the nail. And of course, I was sitting there. One of the first ones was doing the market research, was doing everything, was doing, of course, both. That was the cold calling of speaking to these big, big enterprise clients. And of course, as a young individual, uh, always having this kind of mindset of, yeah, what do I have to lose? And um, I've never been afraid of a rejection, which is some things I've always found, like something I really like about myself, is that, of course, it's always about a learning so, of course, when we, we don't match, we always learn. And it always sounds like an extreme cliche, but, but that's a major part of how we, we're growing. It is about trying it, and then we'll do something else, and we retrospectively analyze it, then we do something else. But it went quick. Uh, it went very, very quick. And that kind of created the team around me, an extremely young individual who begins to hire staff around it. We had a, a team of around up to around 10, uh, of course, coming in, and it's just... It was such an interesting journey of going. I've always had a little bit kind of at least some leadership functionality on whether it's been in football teams or whether it's been back in the days. I've always had a natural also interest in it. I also loved to lead. So I found in some way a natural in the capacity, but I also I went under an extremely experienced and a very, very uh, well-respected director uh, that helped me a lot. So it's a lot about the people I tried to, of course, also position myself around that I knew were going to compliment me. And then I had a extreme modesty of saying, I just want to learn whatever I can. And I still have that. I still am in, the, in, in, in a learning path. I hope I'll be there for the rest of my life. But that created that initial spark of I was forced to. And one of the things that probably was positive, uh, and one of the things that often would come for young leaders is that they hire after they've succeeded in some capacity. They hire organically. So his team... You basically hire team members. So I took over a few, but I also was luckily participating in hiring these individuals. So they could see me as a young individual. I was very, very, very honest and transparent about saying, okay, this is me. This is what my capacity and what I think I could complement the team with. This is where I need you. 
So it was the sincerity, it was the transparency, it was also creating a organization and a role and in some way a team where we were complementing each other despite age, despite experience, despite where they were. And of course, a lot of the people would like my, would like my job. <laughs> that was always a fun thing as well. Of course, they're coming in hypothetically with, of course, also wanting to take over in some point, at some point there. But we got an extremely good communication going by being extremely honest at first, saying, yes, this is who I am. Uh, and I do the same with customer and organization now. This is also where I want you to compliment me. And I want this and this and this. And I hope you can contribute to that and that and that. And that just made the recruitment flow so, so, so transparent. And it also made it just that whenever we hired people, they were extremely aware. So we never had those frictions around, oh, yeah, you're young. We need to do this and this and this. I had the mandate to take these decisions and they had the mandate to take these decisions. And we kind of just had a very, very good organic growth, this the team as well. And it's the same philosophy I run with now. And of course, back in 2000, late 2016, 2017, I went in as a senior manager into a startup. So I kind of got a little bit from the, the corporate world uh, into a smaller consulting startup. And that's where we kind of went into an enormous, rapidly scaling journey. Uh, I was coming in to kind of lead the, the, the kind of the Nordic region and then, then throughout a little bit more the, the European region after that. But coming in again with this uh, modesty of saying, yes, I am young. I was by far the youngest leader and even one of the youngest people in the entire organization. And it was strange to sit as a senior manager being that. But it also meant that I always need to be extremely sincere. I could never put myself on a pedestal. So I always need to look at myself and think, okay, yeah. How am I also going to use these individuals for my own growth? And that just, again, it goes back to the same as I just mentioned before. That dynamic just ended up being so passionate about both of everyone. And they could see how they could also gain a lot more experience beyond actually their role specification. Because I gave the opportunity because I often actually didn't have the experience myself. So I was not trying to be this broad leader who's going to do everything. I was actually trying to create a leadership team around me as an individual that was all leading by their own capacity or all leading based on what I believe they should contribute with. And it just created a natural complementation and we all had a fun and interesting journey. And I ended up being a director there and of course, uh, one of the youngest as well. And since then, of course, I've always had the philosophy of that's how I believe I'm also as a young leader going to survive and going to thrive in this world. Uh, also see myself as an individual, of course, that learned a lot. As mentioned, this forced maturity is also coming in the private life. Um, when you are a young individual, you learn a lot from, of course, also the, I've always seen a natural synergy between my business life and my private life. Of course, as a young individual, being in some capacity, some, some kind of successful, uh, you also learn a lot of do's and don'ts in, 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 that, in that particular aspect, of course. And of course, London being such a fantastic space, you, you just don't have a roof. So even individuals with, such as me, who's just wildly ambitious, you, you can never read this, not a, a roof of how far you can get. It's only about how much and how willing you are to learn and how much you, you really wanted in the end. And I, of course, it also meant I was working a substantial amount of hours, probably a little bit more than, than the healthy boundaries. But that's also what you, as a young person, see yourself in as, as you learn is how could I create this around me and create a natural symbiosis with my private life. And there's also some, some, some small mistakes you're doing there uh, that you learn from. And of course, you also take into this startup world. There's also sometimes requiring a little bit of work as well and some hours. But that's yeah, well, the that, long answer. Sorry. Yeah. That's the interplay of the, all the things, right? I, I, I really try to talk about that, that, that work 
and life should not be opposed to each other. It's not about balancing them. It's, 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 they are parts of the whole, right? And we should not, I mean, life is the whole. Yeah. <laughs> and work is part of it. Because it, it sounds like work life, when you try to balance them, it's about something else that is bigger than that. But what is bigger than life for you? I haven't found that unit yet. <laughs> no, no, exactly that. And I, I always try to, t- to talk about that because I, I'm, I'm being questioned, of course, a lot about work-life balance. I work a lot. Uh, I love working. Uh, of course, it also means that I spend a lot of hours, but it also means that I consistently do expectation management with myself. Do I, do I still like this? Do I still appreciate? And do I still believe it complement me as an individual? Am I growing personally? Am I hitting the milestones that I have as an individual, as a, as a person? Uh, and I retrospectively and also proactively consistently look into this and I, am I going the right direction? And I try to, of course, also talk to the rest of the leadership team honestly about, honestly about that and, and their own progression in, in our journey and the ones that I've been with. Also, because I, I genuinely believe it's a complete symbiosis because I, my, my working life is such a big part of my life that it needs to be something I genuinely thrive by. So when I wake up in the morning, I'm always said that to myself. And I, lo- I know a lot of people, of course, are working also just because they need to get through the day. Uh, and that's a, that's a big part of some, some people's life. But I always tend to, t- to tell myself at least that you need to love this. And the second you don't, you need to really, really think cleverly about where can you and how can you potentially at least position yourself differently or is it something else you can do so and I, I do the same in my private life I always tend to to want just to spend the time on the things that I love the most and even though that's the least one of the biggest cliches as well uh it is just the, the way that I, I I tend to live exactly in a complete symbiosis between my private and my working life and sometimes it's just there's more time for private time not right now and when you're founding a startup you need to have expectation management also with your partners and everything but it also just creates that I hope that that time at some point, now I get a lot more time to do in my private time. Of course, uh, experiencing things outside of work, I luckily experience a lot with work, but there's also a lot of things I would like to experience out of work. So it's always a consistent balance again, and it's a timing question. And it's not something that is done over day. Like you, if you are going out on a journey of, of trying to pioneering and building a, a software and as ambitious as we are, it does require a lot. Uh, and it, it needs, you need to be willing to go the extra mile. Otherwise, it, it, it won't suffice as a, in, in the same way as you'd like. But yeah, but yeah, that's at least one of the things I always talk about when it comes to expectation management. Be honest with yourself if this is what you really want. And if it is, go get it. It's so, so important. It's really this reflection and, and introspection or like looking inwards and, and seeing, <clears throat> does it drive me? Does it give me energy or does it just suck it out of me and sucks the whole life out of me? And it's important to create the strategies and the habits for yourself to do it the way that is comfortable for you, that it's not a, another thing that adds to your plate, but more like, okay, this is like the good thing. It really reassures me that I'm staying on course, or I catch myself on time when I feel like, okay, yes, yeah, start derailing from that course that actually is like, feel, feels good for me. So it's really, really good to have the, those habits. And uh, I'm happy to hear that, that that is the part for you of, of your routines. And of course, you also, um, you learn for the way. Of course, there's, there's plenty of mistakes you do in your private life. There's plenty of mistakes you do in your, your business life that, that hopefully gives those learnings of, of what to do and what not to do in, in the future. So I always tend to exactly try to analyze some of the things that I go through that I, I dislike and then, then see, okay, I, 
was that something that I would want to do again? Or is that something where it's just a part of the, the journey? And sometimes it just takes a little bit of blood, sweat and tears, both privately and also, of course, business-wise. business, business wise. Um, But I, exactly, I, I completely agree. I think it's, it's very, very, very important to both stay, of course, extremely honest uh, with yourself. And then, of course, also exactly be, be very, very analytical about it. I uh, do, do not fear to sit down and really have a good think. Uh, I tend to do quite a, a few walks. That tends to give me uh, a little bit of time to, to really holistically also think both my, my private life, but also very much in the, in the business sense. And it gives just a, a new energy. You know, it gives a little bit of a time to think something through. And at least that's helped me uh, quite a bit in, in, in a business context as well. Yeah, it's definitely something that uh, this kind of time off task, that is actually what creates the boost in your productivity for when you're on the task. Yeah. And especially as leaders, when you have to stay strategic, you need to be this high-level person, right? Uh, to keep this holistic view on the whole business, what you're creating and why you're in this business at all, that really requires those breaks, that the breaks that actually gives you give you clarity, create space to reflect and, and then bring this energy to the team and bring the clarity to the team because that is that is crucial. And that's the, one of the, the most important parts of the leaders, I would say, or roles of the leader. Exactly. I, I agree. And also uh, leadership comes with so many different capacities. And uh, we always, sometimes is, is, is again, I'm quite an extrovert person and, and people sense that to be a natural kind of leadership ability. But I've seen some of the most fascinating and some of the best leaders I've had personally as well has always been introverts as well. So it's also just a, we cannot look at leadership as being one way thing. It's just so many different things. And it's also just about maturity, it's about experience, it's about a willingness to go above and beyond. It's also about, of course, communication, trust, uh, empathy. And I also sometimes see that in, in, in some individuals that it's not in leadership capabilities or leadership roles, and they just have it naturally in them. And we always tend to try to, to look for individuals like that as well, where they, they just have this natural sense around them. And it often creates an extremely good kind of synergy in the, in the organization as well. Martin? I actually just looked at the time and I, I'm a bit surprised that we're already so far into the, the interview because time just flew. Thank you for that. <laughs> that that really means a lot that the, the flow of conversation went so um, so seamlessly. Uh, I would love to wrap up with the questions. One of them is, what would be your three pieces of advice to the genius leaders tuning in? And that can be summarizing the topic or the conversation that we've had already or anything else that you would like to share. One of the first things I look at myself and where I think this is what I probably did a little bit wrong in the start of my leadership career and, and grown better into is prioritization. Mm. It's one of the absolute most important things, both in a startup, but in a leadership capability, you need to be quite good in prioritizing things. I personally use Eisenhower's priority metrics. I know it doesn't mm. work for everyone, but it creates an extremely I've, I've embedded that into the way that I think. So decisions are being be, uh, consistently being risk adverse and more risk can kind of calculated and then put it into urgency and importance. And that means that I tend to always uh, prioritize the things that I know creates the biggest impact right now. And also tends to me that I also tends to kind of address the areas that are most kind of important as of this second. And it doesn't mean that it's always about kind of, of course, putting out fires. Absolutely. <laughs> is still a part of the job. Uh, but of course, it's also about the progression of it. Secondly, it is honesty. Uh, and I know, it's, it, again, it's something that everyone says, but it's honesty also when it hurts. You need to be able to also take the tough decisions and you cannot fiddle around it. 
you need to be able to also be constructive in your criticism. You need to be able to be upfront, be fair, but be honest. Like people deserve that. And and it also means that when you are hyperscaling, you sometimes hire wrong. And you need to give people a fair opportunity. And you need to also be very, very honest if you both pass just is not a match. It's better that you give an opportunity for the people to go beyond something else and just accept that sometimes you do make mistakes. So I always tend to, to, to try to, to use honesty as a big thing. And then the last thing, again, is despite, again, is something where it goes into all leadership capabilities is communication. And in a hyper growth, as what we've also been in, is one of the things and one of the most difficult tasks because there's so many things happening on a leadership side, I take decision that doesn't really come into the organization. I've made mistakes both in customer and prior to it, that sometimes the information slips and you don't get it communicated down. You don't get it communicated up. And it's sometimes creating a little bit of friction because it wasn't really the intention, but you just missed it. So be creating a systematic and a processed communication is important. So things where you basically have a system of how you're going to deal with how communication gets from a decision you take that you know are going to impact quite a few people, but also when it's not. So we do company updates every Thursday where I basically have 10, 15 minutes. Well, it's just me speaking. We have other meetings, kind of what we have happy hour where it's a team update. But every Thursday I give an update purely kind of on the commercial side and leadership side, what decision is being made because we want to create that transparency in the communication and we still it's a long way we haven't it's not something that's again it's not a sprint it's, it is a marathon to get it embedded into the way we are as an organization to always be honest transparent in the way that we communicate but communication in a whole is just such an important thing important thing because you will lose things and you will things are slipping out and it could end up also again that the right individuals are not feeling treated well it could be other things that it actually results in and is not good for, for business. So it's also a monetization value and a decrease in if it's not done correctly. So it's not just something uh, that's being set because it's nice that everyone is, is well communicated to. It's also generally a bottom line uh, that is impacted by it. Yeah, it's so important to connect those dots. And just yeah. as you do that now, Martin, <clears throat> say that, okay, you talking as a leader and informing people is not about just you being in a spotlight or like listening to your own voice. It affects the bottom line. Yeah. Because that is what keeps people happy, keeps people productive. Uh, when they're just wondering what is going on, why is this decision made, being made and so on without giving the context time, it, it just creates the tension and it, it also wastes a lot of energy of people instead of them being productive on implementing the things or giving their feedback so that you can improve the decision maybe somehow. They're just wondering, right? And that is not good for you as a leader. That's not good for them as employees, not for the business either, for, for the bottom line. So thanks for, for sharing that and connecting those thoughts. Exactly. And also just the last thing on that is to diminish the miscommunication internally. Because when you look at expectation management and the reason why communication is so important as well, we've made mistakes. I personally make mistakes, of course, because things as such as hiring, as when you're hiring a lot, People are sometimes a little bit afraid or a little bit uncertain that when you're hiring a new person that they're going to take over for, for their responsibility in their area. So it's very, very important to be open about what is the function of this role? Why are we having it out? So it doesn't create this kind of uncertainties around for internal staff about, okay, am I losing my job and am I on, on the way out or am I losing some of my responsibilities? But to be extremely transparent about the reasoning why and, and be very, very open about it. We make mistakes because sometimes you're basically just, we need this person. And then another person, I think, oh, yeah, that was within my responsibility right now because they would be the, the, the broader function of it. And 
that again, it's just very, very important as being communicated and it's something where I've done a few mistakes on it. It's again, something you can, it's always savable because often you'd have a very, very reasonable, of course, reason for it. But, but yeah, that's one of the things that at least the miscommunication can sometimes create some uncertainties in the culture as well. Uh, and it's important to, to know that as well. Thanks for so vulnerably sharing, Martin, that you are making mistakes and yeah, what you're yeah, learning yeah. from them and, and sharing yeah. what your learnings are so that our, our genius leaders tuning in can actually uh, maybe try to avoid those sometimes. Martin, uh, what would be one practical piece of advice, this kind of action that our leader or leaders listening and, and uh, viewing could take directly after we're done? So one of the things I've seen our journey that we were not good enough in, it was very, very early to have kind of an entire systematic around process and project management. So how are we going to do day-to-day tasks and ensuring mm. that we're going to get them done so we progress rapidly enough that we also can be kind of having monitoring, we can reporting that actually functions. It's something where you, you think of it at first, oh yeah, we only five people. We can do our job. We can get things done. Get systematics and process management in place. It is a necessity and you will lose so many hours. You'll lose so many things if you don't have that in place. We have done a mistake that it costed quite a few hours. Definitely on that, we didn't introduce it quickly enough. We fought a little bit too highly of our own because <laughs> I process, process management skills and, and they were high. Like, it was mm-hmm. right. But, uh, in the end, we it's just so crucial. So that's one of the things. If you don't, and it could be task management, get something where it is, and you can use Trello, Jira, uh, even Microsoft to do if it's something very, very basic. But it's just so important. And then it needs to be open. Uh, so it needs to be collaborative. So you can have your personal task board, but do have a collaborative one where you can begin to put it into that contextualization of your strategy. Because if you don't, you basically just sit around and people will work in so many different directions and it goes back to that leadership prioritization. Prioritize correctly, process it, get it done. And then you'd see execution results from that. Yeah, those are not sexy things to do, right? But they're so important for the business success yeah. and also sustainability. For, of the business, but also personally for, for the employees and the leaders. So thanks a lot for that uh, piece of advice, Martin. And if people want to reach out and ask, how did you create the systems or work with you with Customize or anything like that, what's the best way to, to reach out? No, they're more than welcome to connect with me on, on LinkedIn. If anything, of course, I always, one of the things that I've always looked at myself is one of the reasons that I'm who I am today is because I've always wanted to ask a lot of other very, very experienced and senior individuals of advice. Uh, and of course, if I can give anything back, uh, I'll always be be willing to do that. And I, I try to always groom my, my LinkedIn. Uh, sometimes I'm a little bit, of course, the response is taking a week, but, but I, I would always try to, to tend to respond to, to every single one of it. So it would be either LinkedIn or of course, I, my, per, my, my email is on, uh, of course, our company website so they can find it there. And of course, if there's anything, I'm always uh, yeah, available and, and would love to give my advice, at least my two cents on, on what I've done and what I've experienced and what I definitely wouldn't do again, uh, if that would be the case. Yeah. Thanks so much, Martin. I'll put those links in the in the show notes of the episode and also in the comments to the video on LinkedIn so that people can easily just click and reach out to you. Thank you so much for uh, for sharing and uh, just being so open and, and vulnerable, as I said, and, and showing that, okay, that's not a straightforward journey just upwards. It goes down sometimes as well, but it's part of the roller coaster ride of being an entrepreneur and a leader. Indeed, indeed. It's not easy, and that needs to be remembered. We, of course, as an organization, we've been quite successful uh, so far, but it is with a lot of bumps on the way and a lot of learnings as well, uh, 100%. 
that's just part of it, right? Otherwise, it would be something wrong. <laughs> yes, yes we, we come up with flawlessly, that's for sure. Martin, I'm looking forward to see the continuous journey of Customize and what, what you guys are doing for, yeah. for the business world and how you're simplifying the data so that the people can thrive in their businesses. Thank, Thank you so you. much for, for today. Yeah, and likewise. Thank you for, for having me on. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in and uh, see you in the next episode. See you. Bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Genius Leadership. If you enjoyed the conversation, hit the subscribe button to not miss an episode. And to help more people become even better leaders, rate and review our podcast and share it with your communities. For more conversations about living and leading from your zone of genius, connect with me on LinkedIn. Genius Leadership is an honest conversation about leading yourself and others. And it's my honor to be your guide in overcoming everything 